You're listening to an Axe Church podcast. I'm Hunter, and today's podcast comes from Pastor David Robinson and Pastor Dave Robinson. I'll let them explain in a moment, but first I want to let you know that our church is currently doing our Fall Skeptic sermon series called Dear Skeptic. I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. at Shahala Middle School for our weekly service. And if you can't make it to that, you can listen to our sermons online. You can find them either on this podcast channel each week or on our website at www.axcanis.org. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, back to the podcast. It's been a number of weeks uh, since we've done our last podcast, but we're back, and I'm here with uh, Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave, say hello. Hello. This is uh, Pastor Dave has the same name as me, uh, and so he is actually related to me. There's another David Robinson in the church who is not related to me. There's a lot of David Robinsons around, but Pastor Dave is our senior pastor emeritus at Axe Church. Uh, for those of you listening who don't go to Axe Church, uh, he's uh, recently come over uh, along with uh, another church called Living Word Fellowship, which has merged together with Axe Church. We've become one church, Axe Church, and uh, and Pastor Dave is my dad, and uh, so we've been kind of doing this together. So this is the first podcast you're getting with me and my dad, uh, David and Dave. So. Uh, we want to talk for the next several weeks, Lord willing, about the series that we've been in, um, that we will be in. We're calling it Dear Skeptic. Uh, we've had several of these at the church. Uh, we had Skeptics Forum in 2016. We had Seeking Skeptics in 2017, and this year is Dear Skeptic. All of the uh, messages from those series are available at SeekingSkeptics.com. Uh, seeking skeptics, just like it sounds, .com. Uh, you'll find a lot of information there, including all the messages that we've had in this series. And so um, I want to start uh, by asking in your experience, and you've been, you've been pastoring for, why don't, tell, the, tell the people a little bit about your, your history um, in the ministry and, and all that kind of stuff so they kind of get a feel for who you are. Well, I started pastoring actually when I was a youth pastor in college, way back in 1971. And uh, so uh, I've been doing it a long time. I did youth pastoring, and then in 1981, I started doing senior pastoring. Uh, I uh, have an earned doctorate. Uh, one of those things that I started out with just a college education and just worked from there. Uh, most things that I've learned, though, have come through life experience that have been helpful in ministry. There are a lot of things you can learn and educationally and so forth that are helpful, but life experience is the greatest teacher, I think. Yeah, and so when in 81, you were down, first you were up, up here in the Northwest, Seattle area, right? And you were working at a, a Baptist church, was it, when you started? Yes, I worked at a Baptist church, actually a conservative Baptist church, which is almost the exact opposite of what the Friends Church was which I ended up being a pastor in. Uh, when I went down to California, in Orange, California, we were there for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. That was basically the, the whole 80s. We were down in Southern California. Correct. And then came up here, I think in 1990, uh, came back to Vancouver, and you were at Vancouver First Friends for another 10 years or so, nine or 10 years, Correct. something like yeah. that. And then at Crossroads uh, Church, which is here in town, um, for another 10 years or so. And then right. the last uh, seven or eight years, you've been, you've planted your own church and now we've, we've joined uh, churches together. Correct. That's brings right. us, brings us up to speed. Um, and so, yeah, so it's been a, 
um, a long, uh, Pastor Dave's got a very long uh, history of ministry and it's uh, ministered to a lot of people and a lot of people in, in town have either been to church with him or he's ministered with or play basketball and volleyball and those kinds of things with. He does a lot of that in town. And so um, we're just excited to have him. Hopefully he'll be on a number of these podcasts, but I wanted to give you guys that background so that uh, you understand where he's coming from. Cause I want to ask some questions when we're talking about skeptics, uh, you know, and this is something that, you know, is, is close to my heart and kind of the apologetics ministry, which is not apologizing, but rather providing answers, reasons for uh, the things that we believe as, as Christians. And, you know, when I was growing up in the eighties, mostly, uh, you know, this was not as big of a thing. There was a lot of stuff maybe about, say, uh, creationism versus evolution, things like that, but you didn't see nearly the the need for uh, answers for, say, agnostics and atheists. That you, you just didn't have as much of that, right? I mean, is that your experience? That's, that's correct. It wasn't an issue, let's put it that way. Most of the people had a fairly decent feeling about church people. Uh, there were those who had had uh, bad experiences in church, but as a general rule, uh, church wasn't the enemy as it has been now. Yeah, I mean, I think most people either went to church relatively regularly or at least connected to a church. Like if you would ask them, you know, where do you go to church? They'd say, you know, First Baptist here or, you know, First Methodist over here. Even if they only went to Easter and Christmas, they still consider themselves Christians and connected to a church. Right. In fact, most of America was considered themselves Christians at one point. Right. Well, I mean, and to this day, most people, you know, something like 80 something percent of people would still say, I'm a Christian. I think a smaller number would say I'm connected to a church and a much smaller number is going to church on an average Sunday. Um, and so we, we've seen less, but what we've seen the rise of is what, what they now call nuns, not like the women in the habit, um, but rather N O N E S none. In other words, I have no religious affiliation. I have no, no connection to religion, especially here in the Northwest. Um, for those of you who are listening in other regions of the country or the world, I know we have listeners in, in other countries, the North, West of the United States has a surprising number of people who have zero experience with the church. Correct. Never been to church. Yeah, they're hunters, they're sports people, they're active in all different types of things. They don't see church as anything but an interruption to their enjoyment. Yeah, I think I think that the you have somewhere between people who just see it as neutral, right? Well, it's not right. my thing, to those who who actually see church as sort of the enemy. Um, so church has something bad, that Christians are bad, that they're, you know, that some of the stuff we're going to talk about in this, in this series is, you know, they think Christians are, are against, uh, against things that they are for, um, uh, whether that's, they think they're racist or they think that they're anti-science or they think that they're, you know, all these, all these things that have been, that have been brought up that really have nothing to do with who Christians are at all. Yeah, they think they're prejudiced and narrow-minded. Right. They have only one way of doing things, and they're kind of out of touch with reality. Which some of them probably are. Yeah. But, but some <laughs> some uh, some people who aren't going to church probably are, too. I think it's probably about the same percentage. Uh, the, the point, I guess, of of what we're doing or what's important uh, for us is to make sure that we are properly, uh, you know, and this is scriptural, that those who have those kinds of questions or those kinds of objections, which there have always been those people, no matter when we read scripture and we see Paul, uh, you know, doing his missionary travels, there, were, there was always objections 
you know, there'd be one side of objection, which would be the religious people objection, right? Those, those who were, were Jews and they didn't like where Judaism had gone, you know, with, with Paul and the apostles and those who were saying, look, the Messiah has come. This is where we are now. They didn't like that. That was the religious objection. But then you just had the secular objection. You know, you know, what is this? Who is this babbler? Right. The, the Athenians. What, what is this new thing he's got to say? Um, and so you had those who who when the resurrection was brought up would ridicule that. And to this day, you have what is essentially the central uh, fact, historical fact of Christianity, the resurrection. You have those who have a hard time believing that, to say the least, um, even though, uh, as we've discussed, you know, at Acts Church, and as you can go, I think it's number seven of the Skeptics Forum, the first one we did. Um, we talk about the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection, and there's a staggering amount of evidence for the resurrection. We just had a movie, I don't know if you saw um, the Case for Christ movie that came out uh, recently. Um, what did you think of that movie? You know, the Case for Christ is a guy, Lee Strobel, who does his homework. And uh, he was actually an atheist when he started. And he became a Christian through the evidence that was there. He presents that evidence very well. Yeah. And he's not the first, <clears throat> not the first guy who... Uh, came to faith in Christ through the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus right. Christ. Absolutely. Um, that's, in fact, pretty much all of the original believers um, who came to know Christ as we read the New Testament, pretty much all of them came as a uh, as the Holy Spirit obviously drew, drew them and so on, but they came by recognizing the truth of the factual claim that Christ rose from the dead. That's right. Um, and so, and to this day, I think that that is the central, uh, you know, thing that that should move people. Yeah, I don't think Christians should should be afraid of skeptics, honest ones, because if they're presented with the information, almost every time, they become believers. If they approach the if they approach the information with some kind of an open mind. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that. Many, many, many people, including many avowed atheists, have come over to Christianity not based on some emotional, uh, you know, situation or, you know, some difficult thing in their life or they're looking for a crutch or they were, you know, anything like that, but rather because they were convinced by the evidence of the historical Jesus, that his death and resurrection being historical facts, that he was bodily raised from the dead. Uh, and then, of course, you have you have an enormous amount of evidence for just proofs of the existence of God, um, proofs about uh, nature and the and the level of sophistication of creation Absolutely. that have drawn so many people. Um, and that's one of the things we talked about this week is is the number of scientists. Right? There's a sort of idea out there that you're either a Christian or you believe in science, right? Yeah. Uh, that that one of those things is true. And people, and that uh, that's just one of those, like many things. And we talked about this in the sermon. If you if you get a chance to listen to it, uh, it'll be on this channel, uh, on the podcast channel. I think it's already out. Uh, and and also, if you go to our website, you can see it. If you would rather watch video, one of the things we talk about is how many things we are actually we think are true. But we're actually mistaken. They're not true. Things like whether Napoleon was really this short French guy, when truly Napoleon was actually a little above average height for uh, the, for a French person at, at his time. You know, there's all these things that we come to believe that get embedded in culture, one of which is this idea that science and religion are at war with one another. When the truth is, is that about two-thirds of scientists in the most recent polling that I've seen are believers in God. 
Uh, they may not be specifically Christians, but believers in God, about two-thirds of scientists believe in God. Um, and so it's hard to say that you can't be both right. uh, a, a scientist who's serious about science and a believer. And a lot of early science and the modern scientific method was developed by people who were not only believers, uh, but very, very serious Christian believers. Right. Uh, yeah, it's shocking to people to find out that how much science came from believers. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole the whole method of scientific inquiry, which is to say, when we're looking for uh, patterns, uh, you know, the whole the whole scientific method is based upon uh, being able to prove something, to prove a theory by taking the same thing and trying it over and over and over. You know, experimenting. You you hypothesize, you experiment, and you come to a conclusion based on you know this thing happening over and over. Well, that can only happen if you assume order. Right? You, right, you can't you can't do it if you don't assume order in the universe, and so uh, an atheistic, uh, which is to say that there is no God, that viewpoint, there would be no reason in the world logically that it would follow from there is no God to there is an intensely ordered universe. Those two things don't go together. Right, uh, you would have to assume randomness and chance, and if you're assuming randomness and chance, you would never come up with a scientific method. It just right. wouldn't follow. Yeah, you can't repeat the same thing over and over again and get the same result. And so it is It is Christian thought uh, that has led to the, the entire Western tradition of intellectualism is strongly or primarily driven by Christian thinkers. Absolutely. Um, and, and people don't get that. They don't understand. They don't understand that Harvard and Princeton and these, and these universities, they were founded by Christians primarily to... St- to study scripture, right? Uh, you know, as well as as well as the other uh, you know things that we would traditionally associate with education. You know, they considered scripture to be authoritative. Uh, they considered it to be true, and they didn't do that because they were dumb and from the Middle Ages, and you know, and even the idea that the people from the Middle Ages were dumb is also a myth. Uh, you know, we have had a strong a strong tradition of Christian thinkers going all the way back 2,000 years, and then, of course, of Jewish thinkers prior to that, to as long as we have recorded history. Um, this is not, the Bible is not some fairy tale book written by, you know, Stone Age, Bronze Age uh, idiots. It's, in fact, a very, very um, complex and sophisticated piece of literature. Uh, tell me about, you know, you, you've studied scripture now for, I mean, you have your doctorate in ministry, you've studied scripture for you know, decades and decades. What is it? How do you, have you come to the conclusion over that time and the amount of time you've studied and taught scripture that it's, you know, you're finding it less and less complicated or you're finding that there's more and more for you to find even after all these decades of studying the same book? Well, you know, here's the thing. If you watch a movie, I'll give you this example. You watch a movie, you really like the movie. So you watch it a second time. When you watch it a second time, you start picking up on things that you didn't see the first time. And by the third or fourth time, you're starting to memorize certain lines and certain things that you really enjoy. But you pick up on all the things that you didn't see in the very first perusal of the thing. And the Bible's the same way. The more you study it, you start seeing another facet you hadn't picked up on before, another uh, link to other scriptures mm-hmm. that make sense. And so it's it's kind of a great thing that you don't seem to ever come to the end of learning. I'm still learning as I study and, and as I listen and as I hear. I listen to some speaker and I'll go, you know, I never thought of that. That's a great thing. And it'll lead into a whole nother study. 
so yeah, it's it's a book that keeps on giving and giving and giving because we've got finite minds and you're studying an infinite God. So there's plenty to learn. Yeah, I would I would venture to say that I would be very surprised if there was any other piece of literature of a, of a similar size that had anything like the level of depth that that scripture has. I mean, it's just not there. I mean, you just you won't find it. Like you say, you watch a movie, and by the second and third time, you're seeing more and more. But eventually, you kind of come to the end of that, right? You've you've seen all the Easter eggs, you've seen all the the different things that lead to this, and so and it's over. But with scripture, I mean, it just never ends. I mean, you just well, continue. it's because it has another component to it that. Uh, a movie does not for instance the the scripture has a spiritual side that is a growing thing in other words as you mature you get more in-depth understanding uh, of the spiritual significance of different things you really can't comprehend all that at the beginning but as you grow and as you get more understanding then you're able to continue to grow on that. And that's a spiritual thing. And the Spirit of God reveals then deeper things. And Paul called it milk and meat. You know, I'd like to, he'd like to give us more meat, the deep, deeper things. But as baby, you couldn't, you couldn't eat that. You're not capable of doing that. So yes, you, you start on the desire of the sincere milk of the word, as Peter says, and you move into understanding deeper and deeper things so that you're eating a full meal with deeper truths. And, and it just it goes that way. It's a, it's a growth thing that you learn because of its uh, depth of understanding. Yeah. I think that understanding the level to which the Scripture is spiritually discerned, that there's, that there's more than, that, there, that there's level after level after level. And, and when we say spiritually discerned, we don't mean, um, we're not talking in an Eastern spiritual sense, like that if you meditate, all of a sudden you're going you're gonna, to you know, get these, you know, you're going you're gonna to sense nirvana, you're, gonna, you're actually understanding these things with the understanding, with the mind, but it's the Spirit that is, that is uh, informing the mind. Right. As you're growing and you're knowing, you're spiritually discerning these things, and that the unspiritual man or the unspiritual woman, the unspiritual person does not discern from Scripture right. the things that are spiritually discerned because, A, they're not looking for it with a, with a willing spirit. B, they don't have the Holy Spirit because they're not saved. Um, they, they haven't become Christ followers and they haven't, they haven't been given the Holy Spirit. So there are a number of reasons that, that they don't get the things that are spiritually discerned and in some cases say, oh, this is all nonsense. Um, until someone comes along and, and points they can understand to on an intellectual basis you know they can diagram a sentence they can do all that kind of stuff but the real sense of the meaning they don't pick up on you know when when Jesus says you must lose your life to find it intellectually that's doesn't make any sense so you can't deal with that intellectually so you have to have a there has to be a, a different sense of the meaning and you get that it, when you become spiritual, you begin to understand those things. Right. I think of Nicodemus coming to Christ at night and saying, you know, so, so what do I need to do here? And he says, well, you know, you, you're not going to be saved unless you're born again. And, oh, I'm supposed to crawl back in mama and, yeah. and be born again. And, of course, that's, that's diagramming sentences and taking his words. And I think even Nicodemus was doing that tongue-in-cheek or, or plain dumb. And, of course, the Lord, you know, has it's a great conversation. And, look, these, these things are spiritual. You, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to, you need to understand that. And then, and then his comment, look, you are the teacher of Israel, 
and you don't understand these things, right? You should know these things because you should be spiritually discerning in the word. You should already know that these things are true. Um, and, and you know, to the extent what Nicodemus did and didn't know, you know, I have my own theories about that in terms of what was really happening in that conversation and how much of it was was the Lord sort of almost chastening him for, for his comment um, of, oh, I'm supposed to be born to my mother again, which he had to know that's not what Christ meant. Um, they certainly knew what metaphor was at the time. But these are things that the unbeliever, and that's the kind of, those are the kind of, I think sometimes, I don't want to ridicule, but let's just say there are some very weak arguments that are made against scripture by those who are agnostic or atheistic, who want to try to find, you know, try to find this thing that they can come and say, look, look at this contradiction here, because they, because they want to read something that's obviously metaphor as something literal, or look at this thing here, look at this thing here. And, you know, C.S. Lewis put it kind of bluntly and, and maybe a little harsher than I would have, but something to the extent of, you know, if you don't know how to read books that are written for grownups, you probably shouldn't talk about them. Um, <laughs> And, and there is some of that, which is to say there are some people, we all do it, right? We all, we all have these, when we argue, we all have these ways of sort of uh, trying to find weak points or make straw men, which is to say create arguments that, are, that, that your opponent never intended and then beat those arguments up rather than deal with the real thing. And I would say when it comes to scripture, you need to have, as you use the word, honest skeptic. You need to have an open enough mind to listen to what people who have actually studied this and actually have put their put their lives into this actually say about the scripture, rather than the things that uh, you know the the so-called internet infidels, those who you know go on and comment, oh, the Bible's all nonsense and whatever, which couldn't be true. And the reason it couldn't be true is because there would not be two-thirds of scientists and, and so many people that continue to believe and find strong evidence for the claims made by Scripture if it was truly as childish as some people want to act yeah, like it you is. Know, I'll give you an example. A DNA. Until DNA came along, uh, you know, we believed that there was a beginning of a man and a woman. But DNA proved that we all come from one man and one woman. That was a proof that happened, uh, and that came through science, and science itself uh, confirms what the Bible had already been teaching, that you didn't have the scientific for previously. But the more they discover, the more you learn about the Bible being true. Well, and interestingly, the, the person who's responsible for mapping DNA, mapping the human genome, is a strong Christian believer um, and, and was an atheist who came to believe in Christ based on the arguments and the evidence and sees a very clear link between DNA and, and God, which is to say that it's clear that God is the one who wrote DNA, that right. it's, it's clearly part of his nature that has created this thing. Um, and, and very few people on earth know more about DNA than, than Dr. Francis Collins, who, who is, if you look him up, is a very serious, serious follower of Christ. And so, you know, the, the weakness of some of the arguments that are out there, and I'm not saying that there aren't any good questions, because there are some great questions, and we try to answer those questions in, in, in the skeptic series. Um, but there are a lot of really bad bad questions um, and and really weak questions. And so I want to deal with the weak questions with grace. I I have no interest in ridiculing people for asking weak questions. Goodness, I've asked plenty of weak questions in my day, but I want to deal with those for what they are 
and then get to uh, the more serious questions. There are real questions that people have. Why do bad things happen to, to good people? Well, there's obviously a number of things to ask yourself about whether there are any really good people. Um, but why do bad things happen to children, for instance, right? And, and, and these types of, those are real questions that, that, that haunt the human heart. And so, but scripture has real, solid, reasonable answers to those Absolutely. questions. And so we've done, you know, we've done what we can to try to answer some of those questions. And again, if you go to seekingskeptics.com, you'll find a couple of different uh, messages where, where we outline uh, the reasons uh, that, that help us make sense of what's normally known as the problem of evil, uh, why bad things happen to good people, that, that type of thing. Why do we have natural disasters? Why, why did my brother or my son or my mother or whatever die of cancer? Those, those kinds of questions that, that are very difficult for people to reconcile with a good and holy God. Um, there are there are real answers for that. God yeah. is just as good and just as holy, and those things happen, and there's a reason why. And so I, I think it's important that we answer these questions as where, going back to what we said earlier, I'm not sure that 20 years ago and 30 years ago, these questions were as prominent. I just don't, I just didn't hear them. Um, of course, the problem of evil has always been an issue, but I didn't hear people struggling to the extent that I do now with with the same kinds of questions about, uh, you know, science versus religion or, or the problem of evil or the reliability of scripture. Uh, that's come under attack, obviously, uh, over the last, you know, 100, 150 years with, with some higher criticism issues and things like that. Um, but really has really come to the fore in popular society, really what, 10, 15 years, where we've really had this, this well, big... It's probably longer than that, but uh, it wasn't as public, maybe, or as talked about as much. But right, there, in, in, in popular culture. Yeah, right. yeah. It, uh, and part of that has been that uh, the, everybody's asking questions, they're, they're questioning everything, and they've finally come to the point where they've basically are saying you have to determine in yourself what is acceptable and not acceptable and you're the and you're the sole judge as if there aren't any absolutes if there aren't any actual truth the truth is depends on how you view it and how you see it right yeah the 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 uh, let's just say uh, the prevalence of of relativistic thought those who think that that I believe what I believe, you believe what I believe, my truth, you hear this a lot now, you know, do, do you, your truth, that type of thing, that's, that's become really, really popular uh, within society, or at least that kind of language has become really, really popular, regardless of the fact that from a logical standpoint, it makes no sense. It's, it's become very popular. And part of it, I, I do actually blame for, you know, uh, education and, and Christians for, neglecting the duty to make help people understand the nature of objective truth the nature of the fact that there are things that are true there are things that are false that's an obvious thing that's true and that that scripture is very clear about that and that there's reasons why it's clear about that i think that because the questions weren't being asked as much we neglected to answer them or option b some people would say they were asking those questions and pastors and leaders were saying, oh, you just have faith, right? Yeah. Just have faith. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there's a lot of that kind of thing where people weren't prepared to give an, an answer for the hope that lies within them. <clears throat> they they uh, weren't prepared, and so it was simply just, you know, we take it by faith. Well, yes, you take things by faith, but there are f really good explanations that are there 
that should be disseminated among people, you right. know? Yeah, I think that that saying, take it by faith, and this is, again, we talk about this in, in the last message that, that, that was on Sunday that, that came out this week, but there is, no, there is no fact that you believe that doesn't have some aspect of faith in it. Sure. The question isn't whether there's faith. The question is, what is supporting that faith? If faith is, is the evidence of things not seen, then the evidence is the things that you can see. And there's plenty that we can see. So to say, so to, if somebody goes and says, hey, pastor, why is, does the Bible say this? Or, hey, pastor, uh, what, is, is science and religion, are they at odds? You know, those types of things. And my answer is simply, just have faith. Well, then I'm saying, just have blind faith. But that's not what faith is. Faith is not something that's blind. Faith is based on the evidence. When Thomas denied or, or, or said, look, you got to show it to me, he was asking for something more than the evidence that needed. He had 11 or 10 eyewitnesses right. sitting in the room with them who said, I saw, now that's evidence yeah. to say, no, I also have to have the whole thing. You know, Jesus came and of course said, all right. Here you go. And of course, at that point, Thomas didn't need to put his hand in the, and then he just said, my Lord and my God, recognizing that the level of evidence that he was asking for was unreasonable and not just a lack of, it was a lack of faith, but it was actually a lack of reason. Yes. He's got 10 guys that he's been with for at least three years. Well, there's actually more than that that were there. And it wasn't just the, the, the 11 disciples. Well, because Jesus was gone, but there were others. There was women. There were other people. You know, in Pentecost it says 120 right. were in the upper room. So it was far more than 10 who were saying, "Yeah, he exists." Right, right. We know for sure that at that moment in time that minimally there were the other 10. And there were certainly the women included with that, which would have upped that number. I don't know how many of them Thomas had talked to, but we know he had talked to at least the other 10. Sure. And so you've got, I mean, if I had, a, you know, as, as some of you know, I was an, I'm an attorney, you know, and, and I was a trial attorney. And if I had 10 eyewitnesses to something, I can tell you I'm winning. That case is over. There's not even a way. The, the other person would not go to trial. They would just settle. Yeah. If I had 10 eyewitnesses to something. Who all agreed. Who all agreed. Who were all saying the same thing. I saw him bodily resurrected. You know, and we have actually hundreds of witnesses, which is why so many people became Christians, which is why it took over the world. Not because there was some spiritual, you know, thing where we're saying, well, Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead in your heart. That's nonsense. It was a, you know, Paul's very clear. This was a historical fact. And if it wasn't a historical fact, we are wasting our time. Yeah. And the people believed it. Now, Thomas didn't. And I find Thomas to be what I would call a dishonest skeptic. He was a skeptic who was asking for a level of evidence that is far beyond what you would ask for for anything else. If I had 10 eyewitnesses who said this thing happened, unless I have some reason to believe they're liars, and if they were, why am I hanging out with them for three right. years? <laughs> unless I have some reason to believe that they're liars or can, or can cross-examine their testimony and find it to be false, I should believe with 10 eyewitnesses. He didn't, and Christ was, was you know, of course, shows Thomas, but then also says, blessed are those who haven't seen but yet believe. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. No, Jesus does not need to appear before me and let me put my hand in his hands and in his side in order for me to believe that he rose from the dead. I have hundreds of eyewitnesses who went to their death right. for a belief that, that has to have been, they have to have believed it. Now, there's, there's a lot of uh, theories out there about why, but about why they would believe it and it not be true, but they're all so weak. You know, they're so weak that they're, that they're almost laughable. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's the nature of where we are. Yeah, how know. many people are willing to die for the tooth fairy? You know? Zero, I hope. 
Right. <laughs> Zero IO. Yeah. yeah. People will die Just for to, things that they believe, but they won't die for things that they know to be untrue. Right. People will buy, die for things that are untrue that they believe, but they right. won't buy die for things they know are untrue right. because they don't believe those things. Right. As soon as as soon as they start to put John in the boiling oil, he's going to say, I was kidding. Right. I'm not going and boiling oil for something <laughs> I know is false. Right. right. When they're sawing people in half and, and crucifying them upside down and 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 stoning Stephen, all these things, they're going to say, OK, OK, OK. We were just kidding. We were hoping to get some money out of this or something, which none of them got. Um, and so, you know, it's there's the the evidence of the apostle, including Jesus own brother. Now, I can tell you, you know, you know, you have you have two sons and a daughter. If either one of them came to me and said they were God. I would not believe it, right? Um, <laughs> it's just not something I would believe. So the fact that James also went to his death to say that his own brother, half-brother, uh, was, was risen from the dead, he just doesn't get any stronger than that. Um, and yet people, and people don't know these things. They watch the Discovery Channel thing about, oh, who is Jesus really? And, and, you, and of course, when they do that, it's television, it's entertainment. They're going to find the most obscure scholars who will say the weirdest things right. because it's because it's entertaining. And then people assume, oh, well, they're a scholar. Well, yeah, from Bumblestink University and whatever. And you know, they're you know they're they're just not they're not they don't represent the mainstream of scholarly work for both both Christians and non Christians who admit the that the tomb was empty. That Jesus died, that the tomb was empty, that the women, uh, you know, were the first ones to, to see it, that the disciples absolutely believed that Jesus had risen from that, and so on and so forth. They may come up with other things. They may come up with other, uh, you know, tri- explanations for what tri- for what happened there. But there's even unbelievers who would say it, do- it does appear that this happened. Whether they're willing to change their life and follow Christ is a different issue. Uh, but but even when you have unbelievers who are saying the evidence is overwhelming here. You have to start to look at this and say, okay, this is not this is not just something that a bunch of backwoods people who live in a swamp and homeschool their kids believe. This is something that some of the most sophisticated and some of the greatest minds on earth believe and have believed for 2000 years. Right, and it's not a dumb faith. It's actually a smart faith. You know what what I mean by that is that you there are intellectuals who are stimulated at the highest levels by the truth of what God's all about. I mean, you can have a simple faith. You can have a childlike faith and be uh, accepted by the Lord and so forth. But we're talking about people with education and understanding and intellect who are really understanding what it's all about and believing it. Yeah. And actually, the 20th century and and into the 21st that we've been in for the last 18 years, excuse me, we have seen a a major, I'd say, revival of strong intellectualism within the Christian tradition, where as these questions have become more, more prominent as postmodernism has, has uh, taken, taken root and people have rejected truth and have gone more towards relativism, what we've seen is, is an answer from the Christian community, from the intellectual Christian community that has been vibrant, that has been effective in some of the most sophisticated arguments for the existence of God, some of the most sophisticated arguments uh, for the problem of evil, some of the most sophisticated arguments concerning science have actually come in the last 50 years or so. In fact, probably the greatest living philosopher uh, on the planet, Alvin Plantiga, is a strong, 
Christ follower, believer who has who has done amazing work in philosophy on this. Some some great scientists have done amazing work on the science side with this. The physicists are now saying, "Oh yeah, water to wine, you know, r- rising from the dead. These these things are not." impossible. These things are not uh, beyond what could happen. Um, as we, The more we understand about physics and the, and the more we understand how much we don't understand, the more that those in the physical sciences and physics and so on are willing to say, yes, there's, there's, a, there's a legitimate reason to believe that the claims of the Christian faith are true. Uh, and so, you know, what, as we started this series, and, and we'll talk more each week about kind of what we've gone through, you know, we, we, really, we really kind of dug into this idea of faith and what, what faith means. And one of the examples I've used in the past is, uh, you know, you have a tree, you know, we, we're outside right now, there's a tree over to our right, and I can see the tree, I can see a little bit of the roots, but I can't see the roots underground. But I know from what I can see of this tree that's standing up that looks like it weighs, you know, I don't know, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, that it, was, it is not standing there if there's not a huge root system underground holding it in. Right. I can't see the roots, but I know that they're there. I have faith that they're there based on what I can see. What I can't see, I can believe in because of what I can see. And that's what faith is like. We can see many, many, many things, and, and then we can make a reasonable jump from there in faith to believe that things are true. And so we walked through all of that uh, this week, and we'll walk through um, some more next week. So yeah, so this was uh, the the first podcast in a while. I hope you're glad that we're back, and uh, we plan to continue this over the next several weeks, talking through the the issues from our skeptic series. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. As always, be sure to give us an iTunes review, uh, subscribe, comment, like, share, all those things. They really help us understand and interact with our audience. Um, We appreciate you for listening to this and we hope you got a lot out of it. Catch you again next time.